0: Welcome to the Live Big Podcast, featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit derekgreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. We're going to begin, and I'm going to also try to end here with a scripture that uh, God made over 3,000 years ago, but it still applies to us today. Um, and, and here's the deal. If this verse was true under a lesser covenant, how many of you know the old covenant is a lesser covenant? Yes. We can be certain that it's uh, at least true under what Hebrews 8, 6 calls, show us Hebrews 8, 6, a better covenant. It says, but now he has obtained, speaking of Jesus, a more excellent ministry. Inasmuch as Jesus is also mediator of a what? Better covenant. better covenant. So there are promises in the old covenant that remain today. Uh, however, God has improved upon them. Do you, do, you, do you get what I'm saying? So, if healing happened in the old covenant, and we have a better covenant, Amen. What, what might we expect? Maybe a glorified body or something like that. Okay, that's exactly what you what get. So when you read the old covenant. Those promises are true, but also remember that we have what? A better covenant with what? Established on what? Better promises. What? Better. What? Better. better promises. And since we're in Bible study, I can speak this way. If you study the book of Hebrews, I used to call it the better book because one of the main terms used in the book of Hebrews is the word better. It talks about a better high priest, a better covenant. It talks about uh, a better way. The, the, the whole book is about a better covenant. So next time you read it, read it with that lens. And the whole point is we have a superior covenant to those that were in the what, Old Testament. Nonetheless, there are universal principles and promises from God that still remain true. Let's go to uh, 1 Chronicles 7 and 14. This is a familiar passage. And uh, Solomon says, uh, well, the writer says, "By the Holy Spirit, uh, and actually this was said to Solomon, "If my what?" People." So according to this passage, it really doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. It doesn't really matter how bad everyone else has become. He says, "If my people, does anyone remember when God told Abraham Genesis 18 and 32? He said, he would not destroy destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if they had only ten righteous in the city. Is that what it says? No. Come on, guys. All right. Work with me. Work with me. Uh, Yeah, Genesis. All right, guys. All right. Well. Okay. You're good. We still love you. Okay. Okay. Well, how many of y'all remember the narrative where I think uh, Abraham started with 50, then 45, he got down to 10? He said, would you spare Sodom and Gomorrah for just 10 what? Righteous in the city. So watch this. The preservation of our nation and our families is not how bad or based on how bad the devil's kids become, but on how righteous or how the righteous use their righteousness. He didn't say, if they weren't so bad, I wouldn't destroy He said, if there were only 10 right. So the issue was not how bad Sodom and Gomorrah was. The reason they were not preserved was because the righteous were not righteous. So our families, our nation, doesn't depend on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, the nation is depending on the righteous. I don't care how bad it gets. If my people, that's what the book says. Now, my people, I know I'm repeating myself. God doesn't need everyone. It's just a couple hundred in this room and live streaming would live out these truths, we'd have enough people. He said, if meaning, if is what? A condition, it's it's a perhaps, it's a possibility, meaning it's not automatically going to happen. So, if is, is, it kind of supposes that it may not happen, meaning it's up to us. He didn't say, if God chooses to pour out revival. He said, if my people, second qualifier, who are called by my what? Name. Name. Now who are people called by his name? These are people whose lives are not just focused on themselves. These are people that are committed to representing God in their lives and revealing who he really is to the watching world. So the name of the Lord in the Old Testament was important because. You know, folks didn't know who God was yet. We can look back and we can have an idea of who God was. But God just said He was God, and people were like, "I don't know. You know, if He's bad, if He's nice, we have no clue." So over time, God would reveal Himself through His what name? So I am Yahweh, the great I am. So he would say, I'm Jehovah uh, Jireh, the Lord God that provides. So I, this is my nature. I'm a providing God. I, I'm Jehovah, uh, I, I am Jehovah Sabaoth. I am the Lord of, of, of armies. I am the Lord that, that by, by nature commands, uh, nature commands forces. I am uh, Jehovah Nissi. I'm the Lord God thy banner. So he goes on and on, Jehovah uh, Ropha, the Lord God my heel, on and on. And, and he adds uh, little descriptors to his name so we can know how God is. Okay? So he said, if my people will call by my what? Name. By my name. This is why some of our marriages aren't working. Because you're not trying to represent God in your marriage. You're trying to represent yourself. Oh, he didn't do this. She didn't do that, he didn't do that. There I go. See, that's why y'all want me back. You sure you want me back here on Wednesday? <laughs> <laughs> But you're in your marriage representing you and representing your gripe. Instead, I'm here to represent my God to this woman, to this man, to this child, and to my neighbors. If my people call by my what name, the third qualifier, and this is our focus tonight, and we're going to back into truth, will humble themselves. Most people skip this part and move to the next word, pray. But what I want to show you tonight, and the scriptures are going to preach to you better than I do, is that it's only those who, with a humble heart, that really can have an effective prayer life. He didn't say, if my people called by my name would pray. He said, if they would humble themselves and pray. And matter in fact, Isaiah 58, I'm not going to go there tonight, we'd be here forever, but he said, this is the fast I choose. You see, people were fasting and praying, but they were trying to prove who was more spiritual. They were in uh, strife with family members, etc. cetera. And then they go to God and fast and ask him to do miracles. And the whole uh, Isaiah 58 was about, listen, that's not a fast I approve. Until you humble yourself and get it right with one another, I will not hear your prayer. Pay attention. Luke 18, verse 9. Jesus is speaking here. He says this. It's really instructive. He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. How many of you know that's a big problem? Whenever we determine our righteousness by comparing ourselves and measuring ourselves with ourselves, we're in trouble from the beginning. So this guy begins by trusting in his own righteousness, and, and it was a comparative righteousness. The only person we should ever compare ourselves to when it comes to our righteousness is Jesus Christ. And when we compare ourselves to Christ, we all recognize we come short. And as soon as we recognize we come short, we recognize we need grace. Do you get what I'm saying? So, grace is only for those who fall short. Grace is not for the perfect people. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, there's a lot of people that feel they don't need grace because they trust in their own rights. Because they, and that's why they're going right to hell. How many of you want to be the best person going to hell? I mean, I am the morally best person in hell. Those that trust in themselves, that's their reality. He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and they what? Despise what? Others. self exaltation and putting others down always goes hand in hand. You'll seldom find one without the other. He said, two men, Jesus speaking, went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisees, who are basically... Highly moral people, uh, according to the standards of men. And this Pharisee stood and prayed. But watch what I, I love what the King James says. He prayed thus with himself. <laughs> He's basically praying to himself. And how you know this is because I want you to notice all the eyes in his following prayer. And not you again, it's the person next to you. I want you to sometimes notice all the eyes. In your prayers. There's a place to talk about where you are. But if that's all you do all day, every day, and how they hurt me, how it's not fair, and, and Lord this is what I need, and mm-hmm. He said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. extortionists, unjust, adulterous, or even this tax collector over there. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Saying basically compared to everyone else, God, I am something. If only my wife and my children and my neighbors and my, my boss could only be as good as I am and recognize my spirituality. Man, I'd I'd be on a platform and everyone would celebrate who I am. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but instead he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The tax collector offered no excuse. He didn't say, God, I was born like this. He would say, God, people didn't treat me fairly uh, fairly when I was a child. Lord, it's because of my socioeconomic background. Notice the tax collector did not pray based on what he was not. But he he prayed based on what he would admit he was. You, you, you guess it. Here's the gospel message: Good people do not go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Amen. Jesus speaking. He says, "I tell you, this man, the bad man, the publican, went down to his house justified." rather than the other who's all caught up in himself and his own righteousness. What I want you to see in this passage is the level of righteousness that we walk in is directly correlated to our humility. Because the good man was not humble, he was not forgiven, and ultimately a bad man. But because the bad man could recognize his bad, he could be justified. What you refuse to admit will destroy you. Do you understand? Then Jesus lays out a universal principle. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be Exalted. This is the opposite of the way we're raised and the way we're we're taught. But according to Jesus, humility begins where resisting the truth about yourself stops. Does that make sense? All humility is, is is our willingness to see things as God sees them, whether it makes you feel good or feel bad. Whether it makes you look good or look bad, C.S. Lewis says, and I, I quote this often: "Often, humility is not thinking less of yourself; it's just thinking of yourself less." Yeah. You following me? All humility is is accepting that there are higher truths than your opinion. There are higher truths than the way you were raised. Higher truths than, 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 than the things you learn in your education. Jesus said it this way. He said, Father, thy word is truth. Now, here's the problem. A lot of us have opinions, and we don't submit our opinions to truth. An opinion not submitted to truth is basically pride. Humility is saying, Lord, whatever you say is truth, now will become my opinion. Matter of fact, I don't care what I think or what I've learned or how that looks to my natural mind. I humble myself before you, you alone are God. And Lord, if you said it's true, it is true. So all humility is, is getting over your own opinion. All humility is is getting over your five senses. All humility is is accepting authority greater than yourself, bigger than yourself, recognizing there's one wiser than you, one smarter than you. And as again, as C.S. Lewis says, humility is never thinking less than yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And matter of fact, uh, Moses, when he was writing in Deuteronomy, He wrote about himself and he said this, he said, and Moses was the most humblest, was the humblest man on the earth. He wrote that about himself. (laughs) All humility is, is embracing the truth, whether it makes you uncomfortable or comfortable, feel good, feel bad, makes you look good, make you... all. Humility is is embracing the truth of what you might feel like in that instant. It might have pained Moses to write those words, but all scripture is inspired of God. And God was like, Boy, I assigned you to write and represent me, not you. I don't care what people say about you, what they think about you. You write those words that I say. But do you understand what I'm saying? So, humility is saying if God says I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven. I don't care what I feel like, what I look like, what people say. If God says I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven. If God says I've been made righteous, I've been made right. I don't care what I do. I don't care what, Lord, you have your blood. I have been born from above. I have been made righteous. you understand? Humility is simply accepting who God says you are. God says you're a man. You're a man. God says you're a woman. You're a woman. Humility accepts. Whatever it is, God says about you. Are are you still with me? Second Chronicles. I want to continue to take some mystery out of why God isn't answering prayers. Let's uh, read this verse all the way through. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves, this is something you got to do. And you, no one can do it for you. I can't do it for you. Your neighbor can't do it for you. Your parents can't do it for you. But if they'd humble themselves and watch the next thing, and what? Pray, and then it says, and seek my what? face. All, all seek my face means is we seek what pleases God. What makes God smile? We used to sing the song, uh, Smile. And, and the question, Lord, what makes you smile? What, what will make you please with my life? It, 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 hum, hum, the, the sick in his face comes out actually out of, of humility then it says and turn from the wicked ways then I will hear from heaven I will forgive their sin and heal their what? land, land. what I want you to see here is humility precedes the healing mm, yeah. one more time <laughs> humility precedes the healing so if you're praying for God to heal your marriage your family your finances your body mm-hmm. humble yourself Pray, seek God's attitude, and watch how things will turn. I want to backtrack for a second, and then I'll come back up. What I don't want to happen in this room is, again, I know I, I said this, I don't want people to confuse humility with low self-esteem. All low self-esteem is, is you having an inordinate focus on what you are not. I can't do this. I'm not like that. That's it's in order to focus on what you're not. That's low self-esteem. Arrogance, on the other hand, is simply an overestimation of who you are. But both are an overemphasis on self, whether you're focusing on what you're not, or if you're focusing on who you think you are too much. Do you understand what I'm saying? Apart from God. Both of them are an overemphasis on self, but going in different directions. And the only way you're going to get over low self-esteem or arrogance is to humble yourself and say, this is not about me. It's about the Christ in me and the fact that God has assigned me and placed me here. I'm not going to rest on my own laurels. I'm going to rest on my assignment. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's where our confidence comes from. God, if you called me to it, I must be able to do it. You know that 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 that's actually that that's that that's healthy. That that that's that's confident. That that that, that that's bold and, and that's also humble. But if you think you could do it just because you're Mr. or Mrs. Wonderful. This is coming out harder than I intended, but Mr. and Mrs. Wonderful, you're in pride. Again, I'm backing into our focus today, and you're learning from from, from the Word, and the Word's going to start preaching to you in a moment. Proverbs 13, 10. By pride comes nothing but strife. I believe the King James Version says, contention comes by pride. If there's constant strife in your life, in your marriage, in your friendships, you can get all the counseling you want. But according to Scripture, the root of it all is pride. And what I want to say to you today is pride will rob you of your spiritual authority, it will leave you as weak as a lamb before the devil's devices. Strife, unforgiveness, bitterness is the number one spiritual neutralizer that I know. Now, why is that pertinent? He said, if you humble yourself and pray, and I'm going to skip some things, then I will hear from heaven and heal your land. What was the condition on God hearing your prayer? Humbling yourself. So if you are constantly living in an environment of strife, that really means you're living in an environment of pride. If there's always war and fighting, rage, and there's always, no matter where you go, there's always some major issues and and unresolved issues. Now, people, wherever people are, there's going to be issues you got to work through and, and, and the rest. But what I'm trying to say to you is if you have created an environment in your home Well, husband and wife sleep in different rooms. The the kids, they're scared to come in because they don't know what's going to be said to them next. You create this environment of anger, and then you pray. And then you wonder why God's not hearing your prayer. Well, by virtue of the fact that there's always a fight, let me just back up. Um, One of the challenges of pastoring a small church was... The constant friction, it, it still exists here, but I had to learn to do some things with it in order for us to be healthy and grow. This is not true of all small churches. Some people are assigned to small churches, and I, I, I will not speak ill of them. They're doing honorable work. But sometimes the reason why churches stay small is because of the strife. You can't get prayers answered in that environment when someone rolling at the eyes because of the soloists, and, and they weren't the one called up front, and... and Um, people, and this is going to come out wrong too, but um, hear me. Um, I don't have a perfect family. God, God's been good. But, but one thing in our house we don't tolerate is strife. You know, I get on her nerves all the time. Sometimes even the kids watch. But they'd also watch us work it out. That's right. That's right. When I go home, I gotta go home to peace. That's right. Yeah. I'm going somewhere. Husbands and wives, you're constantly fighting. The was not just after you, he's really after your kids. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.